couple of announcements really quickly before we get rolling. Uh, if you guys would be in prayer for uh, Floyd and Linda. Uh, Linda's mother, as many of you have known, has been in hospice for a while. Um, but it, it's, it, from what it sounds like, it seems like it's taken a downward turn. Um, and so they might be looking at the end of her. So be, be in prayer for Floyd and Linda, um, certainly today and throughout the rest of this week. also want to remind you guys that we're gathering to pray as a congregation tonight. So please be there when we're doing that and get yourself heart and mind ready for that engagement. And we're just going to pour ourselves out before the Father and call upon uh, him during this evening. We're continuing our series on feeding. And last week, you remember, we discussed feeding the mind. Today, we're going to be discussing feeding emotion. Years back, probably more than a decade now, I was at a conference with our teenagers. And uh, in the conference, I was teaching, and um, I, confession, I am emotionally oblivious most of the time. If you try to subtly let me know that you're feeling something, it's going to miss me. I was teaching these teenagers, and after the session was done, I, all the adult sponsors came over, and they're like, what was going on there? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said, didn't you notice so-and-so was staring daggers at such-and-such? And, such? And, and this girl got up and started crying and went out of the room, and this other girl was angry, and I'm going, wait a minute, drama among teenage girls? Gasp! And I know it's hard to believe, but this one was especially poignant um, after we had gotten the adult sponsors together and tried to figure out what was going on, here's what we discovered. One of the guys in the youth group decided that he'd like to have a girlfriend in the youth group. And so he began to approach a girl and romantically pursue her. But he thought he'd hedge his bets. And he went for another girl in the youth group and another girl in the youth group all at the same time. All of them were giving serious consideration to them and many of them were realigning their lives in anticipation of this romantic endeavor. <laughs> Suddenly, they all became aware of the other ones. And there was a fourth girl in the mix who wanted to be included in that, but was not. And suddenly, we had this enormous blow up. I went to this young man in the youth group and I said, dude, what's going on? He's like, bro, I screwed up. You think? I said, tomorrow morning, when you see the female adult sponsors, you need to go to them and you need to apologize because they're going to be spending the rest of their night putting out fires. And don't be surprised when everybody treats you a little bit coldly from the female sector during the rest of this week. I know. And they did. Have you asked God the question, why, O oh Lord, did you make emotions? Why, God, did you make emotions? Why allow us to be fraught with all of these desires and passions and thoughts and mindsets and feelings. You'll all recall that during those teen years, our hormones were out of control, they were in flux. And uh, it seems like the world at that stage of the game is a somewhat bewildering mix of ho hopes and aspirations for what you want in the future and then the realized realities of this life. And so disappointment is bound to emerge during the midst of that. Why? Why, oh God, would you create us with emotion? Those teenage years are sort of just an amplified version of what many of us experience throughout the rest of our lives. Why not make us like robots, God? Why not make us devoid of the possibility of moodiness or melancholy, of rage or anger or sadness or fear or frustration? Why would you make us this way? Ah, think about what else we would lose. Why did God create us with emotion? Let me answer that question at the outset. 
because God made us in his image, and I don't know if you've noticed it yet or not in scripture, but the Lord our God has emotion. It's present throughout the scriptures. We see that God is patient, which means he's also frustrated. We see that God is grieved by things. We see that God is jealous. We see that God is compassionate or that God shows pity. We see that uh, God is joyous. We see that God is angry. We see that God is loving. And so we are like God in our possession of emotions, if not necessarily like God in our application and control of said emotions. Amen? So how ought we deal with our emotions? Well, Christians tend to fail in one of two dramatic ways. The first way is that Christians assume that all of their emotions are spiritual. And so whenever they're feeling something, they just assume that what they're feeling is a directive from God. That is a dangerous way to think. That person, the person who gives full vent of their life to their feelings, is like somebody who has a cart hitched to a wild buffalo. And that buffalo has a, uh, a, a hive of yellow jackets attached to its tail. And then they just give up the reins. Let's see what happens. They cause misery to themselves. They cause misery to others in the church. They are forever a grief to leadership in the congregation. That is a dangerous way to go. But then, then there's this other method, and that is the way when you look at feelings and you think to yourself, I can't trust these things. And to some degree, you can't. And so some people will pull themselves away from feelings entirely. Anytime there is emotion involved, they've decided they are safer off being like Mr. Spock. And every sense of emotion is met with illogical. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, a lot of these same people have difficulty in throwing their hearts into something like worship. Sometimes they have difficulty feeling God in their prayers, and sometimes they can come across to other believers as aloof or standoffish. Have you noticed this? Now, where is the balance? Where is the happy medium? It's not just somewhere between those two extremes. It is, it is an exact somewhere between those two extremes. It is walking a tightrope. We'll discuss what that tightrope is and how to look at it in a moment. Now, you'll remember last week when we got together, I said the mind is the battleground of eternity, right? This is where the eternal matters are decided. And so today, we're going to use our minds to analyze emotion. We're going to think about what emotions are, we're going to think about the problems with emotions and how to control emotions. And lastly, I want us to get a sense of what it is we can do to feed ourselves with the right feelings so that God is glorified in our person. Now, before we do that today, we've got a little bit of memory work. Can I just say this as an anecdote about this memory work? If you're not familiar with Jeremiah, do you realize that this was a tormented man? Jeremiah was somebody who, if you could describe one prophet as being fraught with emotion, Jeremiah would be it. He was known as the weeping prophet. And so when we talk about emotion today, realize that Jeremiah was in a condition where he was lonely when he, when he penned these words. He was in a condition when, when he spoke these words where he was frustrated and angry and sad and, and he was completely flummoxed, and these words offered comfort to him. He was being fed emotionally in the midst of saying these words. Let's look at these words again, and let's see how we're going to do. Ready? By the way, you guys did better than second service last week. I just want you to know, don't rest on your laurels. You know, keep going, but... That's right. <laughs> All right, are we ready? Your words were found, and I... And words, right, became for me the joy and the delight of my 
heart. For I been called. Oh, pretty good, pretty good. I think I messed up maybe once there, but that's okay. So long as we're all getting it. Remember, guys, go to it this week. Engage with this passage and study it. Let's go to our Lord in prayer before we begin this morning. Our Master in God, Holy Father, we're calling out to you right now. And again, Lord, I just want to ask that you would help this not just be an intellectual exercise today, but this would also be an emotional exercise. God, I pray that our hearts would engage with the mind and with the spirit as we're pursuing you today. Lord, give us insights about our emotions, but more than that, help us to take those insights. And God, I pray that we would be your people, people who are like you, emotional about the right things and careful to guard ourselves against the wrong emotions. God, be with us today. Be with us today. Speak into our hearts and our spirits. Lord Jesus, we love you, Father, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. So let's begin with that first question. What are emotions? What are emotions? Breaking it down analytically, let's look at two different worldviews. There's one worldview that I want to deal with first called the materialist. Do you guys remember what a materialist is? It's not somebody who just likes to buy things. All right? When we talk about a materialist or a naturalist in philosophical terms, here's what we mean. We mean a person who believes that all that exists is matter, energy, space, time. Physical things, these are real. This thing is real. These things are real. The chair is real. The podium is real. These things are real. But anything like a spirit doesn't exist. Something like God cannot exist for a materialist. They believe that a God can't exist. Something like love, therefore, doesn't really exist, at least not the way we think of it. So what would emotion be for someone who is a materialist? Someone who believes that nothing exists but the material world. Well, it's simply this. It is the body acting on itself. Your emotions are the body acting on itself, the body acting on body. So think of your body as a factory, and that factory is belching out smoke. That smoke would be things like your anger, your strife, your happiness, love, anxiety, all those things, all those sentiments are just a byproduct of your physical frame. They're not real in any sense except as a chemical reaction. So emotions are basically like a belch or flatulence then. Right? They are an epiphenomena of the human body. It's something that your body is doing. You have no control over it or very little control over it. It's just happening to you. Well, what is the significance of emotion if that's true? What would emotion matter? Well, the materialist view, albeit often unspoken, is simply this. Your feelings are the byproduct of chemicals, of hormones, of circumstance. Therefore, they have no real objective meaning. No value whatsoever. It's your DNA. It's what you had for breakfast. It's existing chemical patterns. Nothing more. That's what emotions are. Now, the second view I want to look at is the view that you hold if you're a Christian. It's soulish emotional realism. Emotional realism. It's the belief that a soul or a spirit exists. And if that is the case, then we have one alternative to just the body kicking out the body stuff. So emotions may be the result of chemicals, hormones, and patterns of thought, or they may actually be stimulated by a non-physical thing, your spirit, or the spirit of God. So emotions take on a deeper significance. Here's what that means. If we have emotion and there, there, there is a spiritual reality to us as human beings, then feeling is more than simply feeling. It's more than simply the body. Feeling might have serious significance. 
your guilt might actually mean something. Your joy might mean something. It might be more than, than emotional flatulence. Make sense? Okay. So why did God create us with a capacity for emotion? Was he just being cruel? Is he trying to deceive us? Now, these might seem like reasonable questions if you've been in the midst of emotional turmoil. If you've been in a place that's difficult emotionally, that might seem reasonable. But God is not engaged in the temptation business. That's very clear in the scriptures. God is also not being cruel. So why did God create us with emotions? If it was for no reason, then I think in the words of Desi Arnaz, the Lord might have some splaining to do. <laughs> what would it mean if all of our emotions were meaningless? That's a serious question. If there is a God, here's what I believe. I believe that emotions must have some form of value for us. They are not nothing. They're not like tumors or vestigial organs. They're not just the body acting on itself. Emotion has the capacity for great good and great evil. It's like our bodies in that regard. Our bodies can do great good or our, our bodies can do great evil and all based on training. So are you training your emotions? What are emotions then? Are emotions profoundly spiritual or are emotions purely material? Both and neither. Thanks for clearing that up, Ben. Um, they are both, sometimes they are profoundly spiritual. Sometimes they are purely physical and nothing more than physical. And sometimes they are neither physical nor purely spiritual. The two mistakes that are made here are people who think that emotions are always deeply meaningful. That is a dangerous position. And the second dangerous position is that emotions are always meaningless. As a believer, we've got to be open to the possibility that we are, number one, being deceived by our emotions. Has anybody had any experience with that? Show me your hands if you have. Okay, good. It's not just me. Sometimes we are deceived by our emotions. We have to be open to that possibility. And sometimes our emotions are an indication of deep spiritual value and meaning. You've got to be open to both possibilities. Emotions are a natural, important part of the human experience, and they have a place in the spiritual worship of God. Consider the role of feelings in the Scripture. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, if you do a study of Scripture, and you just take as one method of looking to the Scripture, you take the venue of feeling, and you try to see where feeling is in the text, you'll be amazed. The Scriptures are loaded with feelings. I was reading through Acts chapter 2 this week, and here's what I encountered. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43. Now remember, this is right after Peter has preached to the masses at the, on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people had been added to the church. And so we're given a description of the early church, but look at what it says. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. But look at this next verse. And everyone kept feeling, underline that, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. The word awe here is the word phobos. It's the word from which we get the word phobic, fear. In other words, the church gathered together and they were overwhelmed with emotion. They had this kind of running fear about what was going on. It's like being in the presence of something supernatural and terrifying. That was the early church. They were loaded with the feels. Now, consider uh, other issues that we see in the church. I want you to imagine what the church would be without that sense of awe. Imagine what it would be like to gather with a church that had no sense of awe in the presence of God. 
Imagine what it would be to gather with a church that did not have joy. Or a church that didn't have pity or compassion. Imagine what it would be to gather with a church that had no overwhelming fear of the Lord, no hope, no love, no peace. Can you imagine what church would be like? Ew, I don't want to be in that body. Did Jesus exhibit emotion? You better believe he did. Just think for a moment about Jesus' life and ministry. Consider him weeping over the death of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Or consider when Jesus was filled with joy at the return of his disciples as they had gone out and had their first successful missionary journey. Consider Jesus' amazement at the faith of the centurion. Or how he felt overwhelmed with compassion on the people who were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. I have difficulty believing that Jesus was dispassionate as he flipped over tables in the temple court. Can you imagine him just walking over and be like, there's that. There's that. Get out of here. It just it doesn't seem right. And certainly Jesus experienced terror in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? So why are we Christians sometimes suspect of an abundance of emotion? Well, it's usually because many of us have been misled. We've been wounded by emotions in our life that have run amok. How do we control and get a hold of these things? Let's discuss that. I want to talk about emotion and control. Imagine you're ordering at a restaurant in southern Florida, and you sit down to a meal, and you look at the menu, and you think, hmm, shark, alligator, I've never had that. And so you order the shark and the alligator, and they bring out a live shark and a live alligator to your table. A little upsetting? Ruin your meal? Yes, it would. It's important to note that while we're discussing feeding emotions, we consider how this feeding is not unlike eating a shark or an alligator. In the right setting, with the right preparation and the right seasoning, these foods can be quite tasty. I've had them both. But in the wrong setting and unprepared, yes, amen. In the wrong setting and uh, with the wrong preparation, that food might just eat you. Your emotions are like that. Uncontrolled, brought to you raw, and without any preparation. They were a dangerous thing. Emotions can be tyrants. Amen? You've all had the experience when feelings, your feelings, began to shape your reality. We've had times in our lives when emotional conflict or disaster left us feeling overwhelmed and hopeless. And we've all been in scenarios where we let our emotions kind of dictate how we perceive the world how we perceived other people, and how we treated those around us. Have you ever had the dream that your spouse cheated on you? And you wake up and you're angry and you're furious with them, and they're like, I didn't do anything, that was your brain. Isn't it amazing how feelings can manipulate and control how we act and interact in this world? But it goes beyond that. Sometimes we even get into the position that we let our feelings direct our faith. How we feel begins to determine what we think about God. Have you ever allowed your feelings to be the lens through which you viewed Almighty God. You might have even let it rule over the declared truths of God, things that he's directed you toward. So when he commands you toward forgiveness, you go, <laughs> not this time. Can't you see that I'm hurt? Don't you know that I deserve to, to hold this over someone's head for a while? Jeremiah 17.9. Good life verse for a lot of people in the church. If you are, have a penchant for drama... If you have a tendency to have blow-ups with people, this is a great life verse for you to cycle back to. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Many of you have probably heard me even use this verse already as I've gathered with you here at CFLM. Check this out. 
The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? These are the words of the Lord. This is God's word. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's the instruction. Your emotions will deceive you. Will your emotions deceive you? Okay, not just the person next to you. I mean, other people might be misled by their emotions, but not me. Will your emotions deceive you? Be wary of it. Know that it is a truth. God has spelled out that truth. Your heart will mislead you. But look at the next verse. Uh, Because he asks this question, who can understand it? Who can understand the heart? But then he answers it immediately. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So do you want to know how to discern whether or not you're experiencing the right emotion? You cannot tell from within that emotion. You can't tell from within that emotion. It's like being trapped in a room where all the lights are blue. It's very difficult to discern what everything's color is. You are within your emotion. In order to discern your emotional state, whether it's right or wrong, you've got to be able to see your life through the eyes of Almighty God. He knows. He can discern. And so if we can see our lives as He sees us, then we can know and we can discern. How do we keep emotion in check? Well, we know we're misguided when we're out of step with what God has said. Let me give you a very simple rule for analyzing your emotions from here on out. If you remember one thing from my message today, this is it. You ready? Emotions are the caboose. All right, there you go. Let's pray and go home. No, maybe I should have spelled that out for you. Emotions are the caboose. Imagine a train, and I'll, we'll just use a, a train here, up here on the screen. Imagine a train. Facts are the engine. Facts are the engine. The train is kind of representative of your life. Facts are the engine. The truth of God, as portrayed in the scripture, is reality. No matter what the world says, no matter what your experiences say, no matter what your emotions are doing, the facts of God ought to direct your course through this life. So when God has spelled something out, that is truth. Your life has to follow that truth. So long as that is pulling everything else, you're going the right way. And what follows facts? Faith follows facts. Everyone say the word faith. When I say the word faith from here on out, here's what I want you to think. Trust. When I say faith, you think? All right, the reason I'm saying this is there are a number of Christian words that become kind of mush because people so misuse and abuse them in our culture. So the word faith for many people in our culture has taken on this meaning of checking my brain at the door and believing something that ain't so, right? I just believe something that I know isn't true, and that's the way some people have pursued faith. That's not a biblical version of faith. The biblical definition of faith is trust in something you have good reason to believe is true. So in this instance, faith follows facts. I have trust that what God said is true. The facts of God are real, and my life pursues it. I trust that my life follows it unerringly. If I want my life to be right, my life will be attached to the facts of God, moving wherever those facts draw me. And what about feelings? Well, feelings are the... Feelings are the... Caboose. Caboose. All right. So long as feelings are being drawn by faith, which is being drawn by facts, I am spiritually okay. The trouble comes into play when we decide that feelings ought to be the engine. And we reverse the order. When feelings start to pull faith and the facts of God bring up the rear, we are going the wrong way. Let me illustrate this. Okay, fact of God. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says that we have been rescued from the body of death 
And he, he explicitly states in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, this fact of God. Are you ready? Here comes the fact of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus? None. Zero. None. If you are in Christ Jesus, your sins are not held against you. You have been rescued from your sins. There is no condemnation for you. Fact of God. Got it? So my faith, if I'm doing the right thing, my faith trusts that what Christ did on the cross was enough. It freed me from condemnation before God. I am free from the power of guilt and sins. That is my faith in what God has said. My feelings. Let's imagine I begin to feel guilt over sin I've already repented of. It's sin that God has already said he has forgiven. If I'm feeling that, my faith, because it's being drawn by the facts of God, can say this, shut up. We can rebuke ourselves. These feelings are wrong. I have faith, trust that God has accounted for my sins and they are forgiven forever. I stand before him innocent. Now, by contrast, if my feelings are feelings of joy or of peace or of amazement at my state of innocence before Almighty God, I can affirm my feelings. Good on me. These are the right feelings and I shouldn't feel guilt about my joy and my peace because I'm following faith, which is following facts of God. But imagine I reverse my order. Imagine I let my emotions start doing the pulling. I feel guilt over sin I've already repented of. And so I start, because I'm letting my emotions control, I start saying things like this. I may not really be forgiven. It may be that I'm actually headed to hell. My guilt increases, my stress increases, my anxiety increases. And because I'm letting my emotions draw me along, my faith tends to follow. Instead of trusting the facts of God, I begin to trust my own sentiments. No one would want anything to do with me if they knew who I really was. I'm a liar. I'm a hypocrite. And I begin doubting whether God could even forgive somebody like me. I probably mis misinterpreted the scriptures about this matter. I mean, they could not really be applied to me, could they? I question my standing with God. I begin questioning whether a person like me even belongs in the church. I shouldn't even walk in those doors, much less be up here leading worship on a stage or, or working with the children in children's church or helping to set up for communion. My guilt magnifies. My anxiety has now become the driving force in informing my faith. And what's worse is the facts of God are now the caboose. I read the scriptures that say I'm not condemned, and I must assume that applies to other people. It certainly can't apply to me. After all, I'm overwhelmed with guilt. I begin to question whether or not there even is a God. I mean, what kind of perfect being would want to have anything to do with somebody like me anyway? My feelings are now driving my interpretation of God's facts, or maybe I'm even dismissing those facts out of hand. Do you see how we get it all wrong when feelings take the lead? But you might be saying, oh, I, I feel forgiven, Ben. That's not my issue. What about, what do you do with your feelings of unforgiveness? What about your feelings of worry? What about your feelings of fear or anger or your lust of the flesh or your love of money or, or, or? Fill in the blank. There's a lot of ways in which we can feel the wrong way and let those feelings direct our faith, which directs the facts of God. What's the caboose, guys? Feelings are the caboose. Emotions must be disciplined. Emotions must be disciplined. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's talk about disciplining emotions. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 says this, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. 
Amen. Uh, have any of you guys ever tried P90X? Uh, anybody in the midst of that going, I love this. Generally not. If you're engaged in a workout routine, you're generally going, this is painful and obnoxious. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It's true of spiritual discipline as well. Yet those who have been, past tense, those who, you know when I like a workout? When it's done? Yeah. Amen? All those who have been trained about it afterwards, uh, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Don't you want to feel peace and righteous right before God? If you have been trained correctly, if you have been engaged in the right disciplines and trained correctly, you can have peace and righteousness before God. I love verse 12. Verse 12 is great. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Toughen up. It's time to get down to business. If your emotions are out of control, it's time to get tough with your emotions. Amen? Amen. How do we get tough? Well, we beat down the worthless or destructive emotions. Beat them down. It's okay to think of yourself in a wrestling ring here, just smacking down those emotions. Let me give you just a a quick synopsis. If you're looking for a simple list of those emotions, go to Galatians chapter 5. We don't have to do it right now. Hang out in Hebrews 12. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks to the Galatians about the deeds of the flesh. And if you want to see some bad emotions in play, the deeds of the flesh. Deeds of the flesh are things we do, but they're all attached to emotional endeavors or emotional misadventures, I guess we could say. Imagine yourself standing on the back of your train and you've got load after load of garbage cans filled with worthless emotion. You know what worthless emotion is? It's the emotion that doesn't match up with the facts of God. And stuff like your guilt over sin that's repented of, you should just be dumping off the back of that train. Doesn't even belong here. Not even part of where I'm going in life. Get rid of the bad. Beat down the wicked emotions, the emotions that don't line up with the facts of God, and build up the virtues. Philippians 4.8 is a great passage. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if anything is admirable or praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. And the word there is, uh, I think, logizomai. It's logic. Logic on these things. All right, so your mind should be hanging on to these truths of God and your emotion should be sequestered there. It should be ruled by these facts of God. Whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is admirable or praiseworthy. That's where my mind needs to dwell. And when my emotions aren't there, kick them off the back of the train And the only thing that gets to be part of the caboose is the things that are of God. Build up the virtues. So remember the train metaphor. Ruthlessly evaluate your emotions. Throw what does not belong on the train off the train. I realize for some people in this room, that is going to be a lifetime endeavor where you will have to do this a dozen or more times a day, every day for the rest of your existence. Because the same emotions are going to try to creep back in and they're going to try to make a stand again and again and again to wrest control of your faith from the facts of God. Fight the good fight. It is part of your battle and if you do it every day, it will get easier. Your discipline will cause you to experience a different uh, emotional experience with the Lord. Let's close out by talking about feelings and faith. I've been in the ministry for a while now and one of the questions that often comes to me is this. Why don't I feel my faith? 
It seems like when I first converted, like I had all this passion for God and when I could be in a worship service and I would be swept up with feelings or I'd be praying and, and my emotions would just run wild. Why am I not feeling my faith? It's not unusual for many of you who've been involved in the church for a long time to have that experience. To some degree or another, this might be just part of the maturing process. The difference between marriage and infatuation with somebody. You know what I mean? But sometimes it presents a real spiritual problem. If you're having trouble feeling your faith, let me just give you a couple, couple quick pieces of advice. Number one, renew your commitment. Renew your commitment. Don't ask for emotions without investment. Imagine you've been married to someone for years and suddenly you realize, hey, the romance is not quite what it was. Why aren't we relating to each other on the same level? It seems like we're just strangers in the same house. I can't remember the last time we had a date or a real meaningful conversation. Why is it that my marriage is failing? Well, for the very same reasons I just mentioned. Are you pursuing your spouse? Take a page from marriage counseling here. The commitment stokes the flames of passion, not the other way around. The commitment stokes the flames of passion, not the other way around. Are you just waiting to feel something? so that you will then be committed to God? Your train's moving backwards. You should be committed to God. The fact of God is your commitment will draw those feelings along. So be committed to God first. If your faith feels cold, consider that you may need to start moving. It could be that God is calling you to something deeper. It's the second piece of advice. Try something different. Lack of faith might be intended to move us to a different destination. Maybe it's God's will that you don't just show up on a Sunday and sit in a chair. Maybe God has something else for you in mind. Maybe God has a ministry purposed for you. I had a student named Steve Norman. Um, Steve Norman was kind of built like Captain America. I kind of looked a little bit like him. Um, and a really great guy, awesome guy, raised in the church. But he came to me at one of our fall retreats, and he, he asked me this question. He's like, look, how come I don't feel my faith? It's like I look around at other people in the church and I see that like we're in a worship service and people are crying or we're praying and people seem to be getting emotional and and I want that, but I'm not having that. And so we talked about it and we prayed about it. And I was honestly flummoxed because I thought he's doing all the right things. Years later, um, Steve went on a, on a missions trip to China. He went to smuggle Bibles into China. And the Bibles were going to the, the underground church. And so he'd put a bag, you know, probably 70-pound bag on his shoulder and walk through customs and then go in and meet somebody and hand them the Bibles. And after he had done this, he, he was going along the street, and he saw a girl selling American DVDs, bootleg DVDs from America, right? And so he walked over to her, and he started looking through the DVDs, and he saw The Passion of the Christ. And he's, he's like, this one right here? And she's like, yes, yes. And, and he said, uh, you should read the book. It's better than the movie. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, the, the, the Bible? Have you read the Bible? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he, he said, it occurred to me, this woman had never heard of a man carrying a cross who bore a crown of thorns. She just had no idea. That was not even part of her knowledge base. Like in China, in a communist country, it's possible to go through your entire life without having heard of Jesus. And so the next day, Steve was in his hotel room, and he said, you know, I was looking out in the city, I just see all these people in the city, and they're swarming. And he said, God's heart just dropped into me at that moment. He said, I saw these people who, Jesus, they didn't know the name of Jesus. And he said, Jesus knew every one of them by name. And he had died for them. And he said, in that moment, I, I, he said, I broke down crying. I had this huge emotional explosion. I was a train wreck. 
because God's heart had landed on me. And it was a massive breakthrough. He, as soon as he came back to the U.S., he came and told me this story. Steve went on to found a missions organization in China. Um, for seven years, he worked in mainland China with the, the um, underground church. Still a phenomenal believer to this day. But see, it required a little something extra for God to go, let me throw that emotion at you that you've been asking for. Could it be that our spiritual gratification, deep spiritual gratification, is waiting on us to faithfully step out and do more than we're doing? So how should emotion enter my spiritual diet? Why do I get emotional when I'm preaching a sermon on emotion? <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. How should emotion enter my spiritual diet? Um, how should I be feeding on emotion? How should I be being fed by emotion? Let me give you two rules. These are Phenomenal rules for governing emotion in the church and among Christians. Rule number one, share right emotion with fellow believers in the church. Share right emotion with fellow believers in the church. We're ex explicitly instructed to do this. One of my um, mentors in the faith, Bev Nichols, she, was the, uh, she is the wife of uh, my former minister, senior minister at Northern Hills. Bev is a deeply spiritual woman, and she says this all the time. I don't know if it's hers, but in my mind it's hers. Joy shared is joy multiplied. Sorrow shared is sorrow divided. Joy shared is joy multiplied. Sorrow shared is sorrow divided. You guys have all experienced this in the church, haven't you? I mean, if you're, if you're bearing a burden, maybe you've, you've lost a loved one or you've just gotten bad news from the hospital or, you know, you've got a kid who's, who's done the wrong thing and has broken your heart. You've all experienced that scenario in the church where People come in alongside you, and that burden that was weighing you down, it's, it's like it's just lifted up from every side because you're surrounded by fellow believers who are mourning what you mourn. By the same token, we've all had that experience where we have joy in the faith. God has done something amazing in us. Maybe it's the result of a marriage or a graduation or salvation or some great news, and to share that news with fellow believers and to have them rejoice with us amplifies the rejoicing process. Romans 12, verse 15. If you've got your Bible still open to Romans 12, just look down at verse 15. This is a short phrase, but it is a powerful command. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul's giving us this instruction. When you see emotion within the church and it is the right emotion, step in alongside it and amplify it. Second rule, try to match emotion with God. If you want to know if you're doing the right thing, there's one way to know. If you want to know if your emotions are right, there's one way to know. I told you that we are not just somewhere in between two extremes, but we are on a tightrope that we are walking. That tightrope is the character of God. When we begin matching emotion with the God of this universe, we will be emotionally right. Here's what I mean by that. Be angry about the things that make God angry. It's right for us sometimes to look around at the world we're in and think, this is wrong. This is upsetting because God is angry about the same things. Be sad about the things that make God sad. Be filled with courage and peace at the truth of God's victory. John chapter 16, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Amen? In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Man, let your heart be there for a second. Is it going to be rough? Yeah, it is. 
but he has overcome the world. Be confident that God will have his vengeance. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When you are overwhelmed by the emotions of a world that has gone crazy, stop yourself and remind yourself, my Lord is going to have his vengeance. All these wrongs are going to be made right. Have profound compassion for his sons and daughters, just as he does. The lost sons and daughters, too. Find joy in the things that give him joy. Laugh because we serve a God who made laughter. Something happens when I see my kids playing and laughing and enjoying one another's company. I can't help but join in. I think our God is like that with us. He loves it when we love on each other. Be comforted in the judgment that God already sees. Guys, let your hearts be here. Turn, turn your Bibles to Re- uh, Revelation chapter 21, 3 through 6. Revelation 21. We believe that God is omnipresent, which means God is all places, all at once. We also believe that God is eternal, which doesn't just mean that God lives forever, but it also means that God exists at all points in time, all at once. So here's part of what you need to know about God. Right now, God sees sin being dealt with on the cross. Right now, God sees the judgment as a present reality. It is not far off for him. He is all being, which means he is there. Now, this is pretty interesting when you consider God's heart on matters. If you ever ask yourself, God, how can these evil things happen in the world? How can you stand by? That God is also at the judgment. That God is also at the cross. He sees sin being compensated for and taken care of on the cross. He sees it at the judgment. He sees all these things being dealt with. All the wrongs are being made right. Look at Revelation chapter 21, 3 through 6. Some of our emotions have a termination point. There are some emotions that don't get to go to heaven with us. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. It's okay to experience a lot of emotion here and now. But know that some of those emotions are not going forward with us. There will come a day when all crying will be done, all mourning will be done, all loss will be done, and death will have died. So, let's be careful how we feed our emotion. We're going to train it. We're going to make it align with the facts of God. And when it doesn't align with the facts of God, off the train it goes. Amen? Let's go to our master in prayer. Lord, thanks for making us complicated beings. I praise you that we're not, we're not robots, we're not Vulcans. That, Lord, we come to you com- full of complex emotions that we can't even navigate ourselves most of the time. God, I praise you that you didn't just leave us helpless in this circumstance, but, Lord, you provided us your paradigm, that we might be image bearers of yours, that we might be like you in the way we think, act, behave, and the way we are affected by our emotions. God, I pray for every one of us today that we would commit ourselves to matching emotion with you. And Lord, that anything that does not belong, that we would kick to the curb, throw it off the back of the train. We love you, O God. Praise you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.